Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In this past week, a couple of things happened, or came to my attention at least, that I'd like to talk to you about in this episode that I think are really important and actually follow very much the theme that we've been developing in the recent episodes. One was an interview with Michael Saylor, and I didn't see the interview yet. Uh, that's still on my to-do list. But one thing caught my attention that was uh, shown in a preview, and that was his remark about taking your Bitcoin with you to the grave. And that's a very interesting idea and one that I've thought a lot about as well. And uh, what are the implications of that? And basically, how does Bitcoin's redistribution of wealth work? And how does it compare to the redistribution of wealth that is promoted by the banking system and those with influence and charge in that area. Another thing is the Bitcoin price recovery up to $30,000. Um, this, I think, has significance in, in the timing of it. I, um, it's probably you know pretty obvious that it's connected to BlackRock's ETF proposal, I'm not going to get much into that aspect, but the timing of it, I think, has significance. And that's what I want to talk about. Why this week? Um, and then uh, another thing uh, was an article that came out this past week that actually that's connected to the timing of the, uh, the Bitcoin price recovery. And that's what I want to talk about in relation to that. But there were other things in that article as well that are... Well, I think very serious. And that's what I want to start off with here. So just before we get into everything, I want to say uh, welcome back to anyone who is listening again. And uh, this is just, <laughs> we're still in the early episodes here of this new podcast. And so if you're hearing this, it's also likely that you're new. So I want to welcome you to this podcast. And I hope that you benefit from it and uh, that you share it with others and uh, encourage people to subscribe and uh, contribute feedback. And I just want to give a shout out and a thank you to the couple of people who streamed sats on uh, the last couple episodes uh, through the Fountain app. And uh, if you're not using Fountain, I encourage you to check that out. It's a great app. And the great thing about it is that it's a podcasting 2.0 app. It allows you to uh, contribute in uh, uh, micropayments uh, to your favorite podcasts as well as earn uh, while you're listening. And so uh, I encourage you to use that and to share your appreciation for the value of this podcast if you find it to be a blessing. Okay, so uh, let's jump right into this topic, which is about a plan that was decided upon in the recent, uh, what is it called? Let me switch over here to, uh, okay, well, first of all, the article that I read that tipped me off on this was called, is called The Beacon of God's Wrath. It speaks about a pandemic treaty that was agreed upon in the 76th session of the World Health Assembly which took place from May 21 to May 30. And uh, I actually looked up some information on this to see what this was all about. And um, I found an interesting article on the World Economic Forum website. It's, uh, it's titled WHO Pandemic Treaty. What is it and how will it save lives in the future? This is dated May 26, 2023. And basically, just to kind of give an overview, what this is about is the bullet points that they list right up front are, one is that it's about negotiating new rules for dealing with pandemics. The treaty seeks to shore up the world's defenses against new pathogens following the COVID-19 pandemic. 
The pact would include provisions for sharing data, funding research and development, and responding to outbreaks. It would also include provisions for strengthening surveillance and early warning systems and for building up stockpiles of medical supplies. Okay, so those are the sort of the WEF's uh, bullet points on, you know, what this article is about. And it says in the article, for the new, more wide-reaching pandemic accord, member states have agreed that it should be legally binding for those who sign up, overcoming early reservations from the United States. Uh, It also notes... However, the proposed pandemic treaty has come under fire on social media, mostly from right-wing critics warning it could lead to countries ceding authority to the WHO. The body strongly refutes this, stressing that governments are leading the negotiations and are free to reject the accord. Now, uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Countries are free to reject the accord, but the question is, Will they, and why or why not? And the fact is that, and and notice that this is a World Economic Forum article, okay? Um, It's actually the economics of the situation that will be pressuring nations to accept the accord. Because you know how it is. What happens is the economic powers, they decide to print money. And then they take that money and they distribute it. And who do they distribute it to? They distribute it to organizations that meet basic criteria that they want to support. And so if organizations meet the criteria of supporting uh, such good things, (laughs) purportedly good things as uh, the pandemic treaty, then such an organization would be eligible for receiving these, these funds that were printed. Okay. And then, of course, the cost of printing money comes from the pockets of basically everyone. So, um, and, you know, when this happens sort of on a global scale because of a pandemic uh, like it did last time, then uh, basically it takes money from the whole world and funnels it into organizations that support the goals and agenda of the powers that be. They talk about, you know, the 194 nations. And so this is how the world is being shaped by money, but at the same time, they can make statements like this, that, oh, uh, you know, governments are free to reject the accord if they want. Yeah, so, but which government is going to reject it when basically their financial benefits are uh, depending on it, you see, uh, depending on them accepting the accord. And so uh, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. So you can see there already we've, you know, touched on the subject of money distribution and how that works in the legacy system through money printing. It's not just money printing. The problem with money printing is not just inflation. In fact, it's perhaps not primarily inflation. It's it's the fact that through the mechanism of money printing and then redistributing that money, That is the redistribution of wealth that uh, people like Pope Francis advocate for. And then, of course, you have to ask yourself, well, how is that health, uh, sorry, wealth being redistributed? Well, you know, it's according to their criteria, according to their agendas. Uh, Who is supporting ESG? Who is supporting, uh, you know, vaccine development uh, and rollout? Who is supporting uh, the World Health Organization? You know, so this is how the powers that are in control of the money are controlling the world. Okay, they're taking the money from the people of the world and giving it to organizations that do their bidding. And the solution to that, of course, as we've talked about, uh, which is what this podcast is about, is Bitcoin. Okay, and we'll come back to how Bitcoin redistributes wealth uh, a little later on. But first, I want to dig a little more into this pandemic treaty, because this is really a serious topic and an important one. So they say in the articles that Basically, this pandemic treaty is aiming to go into force uh, a year 
after it was decided upon. So that comes to May of 2024. And that has great, great significance. And I will point you to the article that I mentioned for more information on that aspect and to get you pointed in the right direction. The beacon of God's wrath. Okay. And that explains how the European Commission has worked together with the WHO on this pandemic treaty and on the launch of a digital health certificate and how this fulfills prophecy, in particular uh, the prophecy of Revelation 17.12. And I'm not going to go into that because the article already talks about that, so I refer you to the article for that. But what I want to focus on here is what this represents. Now, (laughs) there are so many levels to this that I'm not quite sure where to begin, but Okay, first of all, this is the total return in full force of everything that happened during COVID-19. All right, basically, the digital health certificate is going to be required for travel. And so people who do not uh, get vaccinated and and get registered in this uh, digital health system are going to be restricted. They're going to be locked down and their freedoms are going to be taken away, basically. So what this is, is it's the total control coming in, and, it, and the aim is to ensure that everybody gets vaccinated. Now, this sounds like a good thing that, oh, you know, it's to protect people health-wise and all this, but I want to point out the contradiction that, you know, they talk all the time about caring for the planet, about caring for nature, about the, about taking care of the environment, you know, fighting global warming or whatever. And um, however they phrase it, however they encapsulate it, it sounds good. And it, and it is good in, 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 the, in the general sense of, yes, we are stewards of the planet and we must take care of it. That's, that's something that God gave us, that stewardship. And that's, that's written in the book of Genesis. Okay, that God gave to the human race stewardship over the planet. So that's non-negotiable. But the contradiction that I want to point out is the fact that the way that the powers that be are trying to protect humanity by changing, by injecting DNA or mRNA into the human body that has the effect of basically changing your genetic makeup. Okay, even if, and you know, there are studies that show how the gene fragments can make their way into your actual genome. Okay, Uh, in fact, a huge percentage of, I think it's like 8% of the human genome is made up of virus fragments, uh, you know, fragments of virus genomes. And viruses basically work on the principle of injecting their DNA into the body to replicate. And this is how the COVID-19 and and similar vaccines are made to work. They basically, you know, they're like Trojan horses. The genetic code comes in uh, through the virus mechanism and injects itself into cells in the body. And then those cells indiscriminately replicate that DNA. And that DNA then, of course, causes the production of proteins that are, you know, the spike proteins that are uh, not according to the body's own programming, but according to the programming of the scientists who engineered this vaccine. And what this is doing is it's removing God from the equation. You know, God designed our bodies to be able to combat viruses in a natural way, and he did it with the full understanding and and, uh, comprehension of how he designed the human body. And when mankind takes God out of the equation and usurps the authority to uh, intervene in this way, that is destroying nature. That is making a change to the way the body operates that can never be fully undone 
because just as every natural virus that you know leaves its mark on the human genome, which can be seen in that 8% of viral fragments that are included in the human genome to this day, just as every virus leaves its mark, so does the human-engineered vaccine. And so going forward, those who receive the vaccine are forever changed. Their genetic line is forever changed away from what is natural into the direction of what is synthetic. A new species is being created and the human species is being destroyed. Is that caring for the endangered species of this planet? And so what this amounts to in the spiritual sense, you know, Jesus came as a human being and he came for those who he created, not for those who uh, Moderna or Pfizer created, okay? He came for those he created who have his genetic line, his bloodline. Those who have the bloodline of Christ are those who he came to save. And those who love him and honor him naturally do not want to dishonor him by changing their bloodline according to the whims of the scientists of today. And, you know, just think about, you know, a few years ago, there was, you know, in the news, there was this, uh, all this uh, noise about a particular evangelist that had gone to the last remote island of barbarians. Uh, I forget exactly where, I think it was the island of Senegal and um, had tried to spread the gospel there and he was killed. Okay. And the sort of non-religious world made a big stink about how, you know, this evangelist was going and potentially spreading illness to these people who were not protected against it. And they basically defended the barbarians and said, yeah, you know, um, it's better to just leave them alone so that we don't bring our diseases to them, so to speak. And um, yeah, there's some logic in that. But look at how contradictory that is to the fact that now the medical establishment and the powers that be are pushing their vaccines, <laughs> their, you know, their viruses, their engineered viruses onto the population, the whole world population. And they're trying to do it in a way that is inescapable. You won't be able to travel. You won't be able to probably buy and sell. You know, we talked about that in the previous episode, um, that you won't be able to buy and sell because of the CBDCs that are going to be incorporated and along with the digital identity, which of course is going to be used in the health certificate as well. All this is coming together and it's going to mean if you don't receive the vaccine, if you don't follow the ideologies of the ones in power, that basically you're going to be cut off from the system cut off from being able to buy and sell, and and you're going to be obliged to receive the mark or the image or the number of the beast. So like I said, this is very serious, and it represents to the Christian, to the one who really honors God and wants to keep their body according to the way he created them. This is ultimately, in the belief system of a Christian, this is the threat of eternal death because changing the DNA changes the identity and it takes a person out of the bloodline of Jesus Christ, out of the human bloodline and into the bloodline of, uh, well, uh, there are movies about it, you know, of, of sort of the new generation of genetically engineered uh, beings, okay? And so you can see in that how very clearly this is the last generation, you know, as the Bible says that that time would come when there would be a last, a final generation of people on the earth. This is that generation. As Jesus said, all things will be fulfilled before this generation passes. So that was to kind of express the importance and the seriousness of this topic, especially in the mind of a Christian. 
And with that in mind, and understanding that this sort of global vaccination represents the killing, the annihilation of all those who really put their faith in God for their health, for their well-being, for their defense against disease. And that is the death sentence that we spoke about in the last episode when we talked about King Nebuchadnezzar's event where he called the leaders to worship the golden image on pain of death. But a different aspect of that comes to light now when we see that the plan was made in May of 2023 to be put into force, to be executed in May of 2024, exactly one year later. And that brings us to the story of Esther in the book of Esther in the Bible, where a decree was made that all the Jews were to be put to death in a year's time on a specific date in the 12th month from the date of the decree. So we are officially in that time period now where the decree, the death decree, has been issued forth against the remnant people of God. So this is serious stuff. And for those who are not Christians, uh, you may not take it seriously. But for those who are Christians and who do believe that it is important to respect creation as God made it and to not interfere with the manipulation of the genetic code, then you can understand that within that frame of belief that this is a very serious thing and it represents literally the end of the world. Now, the beautiful thing about the story of Esther is that God delivered his people from the schemes of the wicked at that time. And it's important for us to take that into consideration, I believe. And that's where this article didn't really delve into that subject. But I think it's really important to look at that now. And in particular, to see how Bitcoin plays a role in that. Now, um, we spoke in previous episodes about how Bitcoin, being decentralized, puts the power back into the hands of the people, puts the sovereignty over their wealth back into the hands of the people. And this prevents the uh, existing uh, financial powers uh, from being able to take the money out of their pockets and redistribute it to these organizations that do their bidding. And so Bitcoin is the solution, but the only way that it can solve the problem is if people switch over to Bitcoin instead of using fiat. And therefore we urge, I urge every Christian to accept Bitcoin and to follow the counsel that was given in the previous episode to take a tenth part of your fiat income and dedicate that to the Lord as a tithe and do that by investing that tenth part in Bitcoin. And don't just do it through an ETF, actually take self-custody of that tenth part of your income by putting it into Bitcoin and holding it in a self-custody wallet. In that way, you give a tenth part of your income to the cause of God, because Bitcoin is the cause of God. Uh, we spoke about in the first episode how Bitcoin fulfills the promises of God. It is a means through which he accomplishes his will on earth. And so by investing in Bitcoin, you participate in that and you give to the cause of God. And at the same time, you retain full sovereignty over that money. It's not a call to give your tithes to the church or to the pastor. It's just a call to put that tithe into Bitcoin for safekeeping for the kingdom of God. And in so doing, you burn a tenth part of the fiat money and you support the new system that will limit the power of these world organizations from exercising their will over the people. In fact, I wrote an article about that called Reward Her Double. In that article, I explain how Bitcoin 
is the only way to take away the power of these big worldwide organizations like the WHO, the WEF, the World Banks, and you know governments of the world, and so forth. It's simply by taking away their lifeblood, by draining the lifeblood from them, which is their financial resources, the money that courses through their veins. If you take that money away, if you simply dry up their veins by not trafficking in fiat currencies, instead switch over to Bitcoin, then you drain the beast of his blood, so to speak. And that takes away the power and returns it back to the individual. Now, this uh, kind of brings me back to the topic of uh, what Michael Saylor said about hodling your Bitcoin stack and taking it to the grave with you. Now, that's not to say uh, that you can't dispose of it however you see fit uh, while you're alive. But the point is that even in the case where, you know, for example, if you want to leave some Bitcoin to somebody else, you can do that. But any Bitcoin that you take to the grave with you has a certain effect. And that effect is that it gets redistributed, the value of it, not the Satoshis themselves, but the value that was digitized into that money will actually be redistributed equally to everyone else who still holds Bitcoin. That is the magic, so to speak, of redistribution of wealth in the Bitcoin economy. And I call it magic just because you you can't count it in numbers, right? I suppose you can even in a certain sort of way. People do try to uh, estimate how many Bitcoins are sort of irrecoverable at this point. And that means that there are actually less than 21 million Bitcoins uh, available as the sort of total uh, supply. And of course, if that number is actually less than 21 million, then that means that the value that's allocated to each Bitcoin is actually more in reality than uh, just 21 million divided by total wealth of the world. And so you can't exactly quantify it because you can't really know how many coins are truly locked up in that way. You can't really know how many coins have been burned by uh, being sent to invalid addresses, for example, or uh, that people have just uh, lost the keys to or have deliberately not disclosed the keys to, uh, you know, when they die. And this is... I find this really fascinating, and I, I, I don't know if I should jump into this now. I think I will, because it really relates to the topic. The book of Revelation speaks about martyrs, and you know, a martyr is one who sacrifices his life for the cause of God. But if you look at things in the financial light, and the book of Revelation is full of financial symbolism... If you look at things in terms of finances, and especially in the sense that Bitcoin is a type of store of value that allows you to literally digitize your time and energy, your life, and store it in the form of Bitcoin, then when you take that Bitcoin to the grave with you and understanding that investing in Bitcoin is investing in the cause of God, then you are literally taking your life and giving your life as a sacrifice to God by taking your Bitcoin to the grave with you. And just like how a real-life martyr, you know, the saying goes that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, the more that people are killed for the sake of Christ, it inspires others to say, wow, what did that person die for? What was so important, what was so precious about staying true to Christ that that person was even willing to give their life for. And that inspires others to turn to Christ. And in the same way, when people guard their Bitcoin so securely that they even take it to the grave with them, that makes a statement that says, wow, what was so precious about that Bitcoin that that person would not betray it to the hands of anyone else 
It was so precious to them that they would even take it to the grave with them. And as we talked about, what happens to the value, the value of that life that was digitized into that Bitcoin, when it is taken to the grave, that value is sort of magically, again, I use that word because it's difficult to quantify, but it's magically distributed to all the other hodlers, all the other remnant who share that common belief in Bitcoin as the solution to the monetary problems of this world. So let's just talk a little bit more about this redistribution of wealth that's inherent to Bitcoin, uh, because this is really a principle that I think uh, many people don't understand because it's subtle. Okay, let's say a whale has a thousand Bitcoins and takes those to the grave with him. That's a thousand Bitcoins removed from circulation. They will never again be in circulation. So that means that the Bitcoin monetary supply is no longer 21 million or 18 million or whatever the, the, the estimated factor is, but it's a thousand less than that. And that means that the total value of, you know, the bit of Bitcoin as determined by the market will indistinguishably increase per Bitcoin in accordance with what was taken out of the supply. And that's how the wealth is redistributed. It's redistributed fairly and equally among all according to their participation in the system. And that is contrary, that's in contrast to the way that the redistribution of wealth happens in the fiat world, where powers that be simply press the control P, uh, print money button, and uh, print a trillion dollars, and then and that takes that value out of the pockets of the entire uh, swath of civilization that's using the fiat systems, and then they take those trillions of dollars and dump them into corporations that are doing their will. That's how the redistribution of wealth happens in an unfair way, in a way that favors the agendas of those uh, that are referred to as the elite, okay? Bitcoin doesn't work that way. It simply redistributes to all equally and only on a voluntary basis. Nobody can take away wealth from you that you hold in Bitcoin because the money supply can never be increased. It can only be decreased, which gives wealth to you. Now, before we leave the topic of the martyrs, I think it's very interesting to say that in the book of Revelation, there's a certain number of martyrs that has to be reached, but yet that number is never actually disclosed. Other numbers are there is the 144,000, for example, and there are other numbers of groups of people in the book of Revelation and elsewhere. But the number of martyrs is not disclosed. It's only mentioned that there is a number that must be reached, but it's not disclosed what that number is. In uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. And uh, also in uh, the fifth seal, it speaks about, And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. That's where it speaks of the martyrs, and it speaks of them as a number that must be fulfilled or filled up or reached, but yet that number is never specified. It's never known in the book of Revelation. And I think that's highly interesting in correlation to what we've talked about with Bitcoin, because you can never really know for sure how many Bitcoin have been burned at the stake, so to speak, you know. It's interesting in the, in the context of coins, we talk about staking and, you know, hodling in a sense is like staking. You know, you, you, you set coins aside for a specific purpose and then you don't touch them, right? And so when you take coins to your grave with you, that's like being, it's like burning them at the stake, so to speak. You're staking them to your death. All right. And so it's highly interesting, I think, that, you know, coins 
you know, that are taken off of the market in that way, you cannot really know how many there are. It's a number and there is an actual number associated with that, but you can't really know what it is. You can only estimate. It's not like the 21 million that you, you can know. And of course, yeah. So, um, so that's very interesting, I think. And so now bringing this back to the topic of Esther, the Bible tells this amazing story in the book of Esther about how God intervened for his people and how he changed the outcome. And even though the law of the Medes and the Persians could not be altered, and therefore the decree that went out against the Jews could not be changed, God still intervened to save them. And he did that in the context of that story by allowing another law to be passed that gave the Jews permission to defend themselves against the attacks of of the those who were going to uh, act on the pr- prior law and this struck fear into all of the enemies of the Jews and ultimately gave the Jews the advantage sort of a preemptive advantage to sort of know who their enemies were and to take them out of the way on the appointed day now this article The Beacon of God's Wrath speaks of a specific date. Um, It speaks of it speaks of a heavenly sign which occurred on June 21 and 22 this year. And this heavenly sign was connected in the article with God's action, with the action of God, and with a call for God's people to follow Him. Well, I want to connect that with what we saw in the price of Bitcoin in this past week, just over those same days. We saw the price recover from, I don't know, the 25,000 range up to the 30,000 range. And this sent a big signal, and especially being connected with BlackRock, the uh, lar- you know one of the largest, if not the largest um, investment firm, uh, soliciting uh, a Bitcoin ETF. And actually, I think there was another company as well that uh, followed suit. And so this is really um, becoming a big topic and it's being pushed really hard and it's uh, probably going to get approved. Now, there's a lot of speculation on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or what could be the results of that in particular in uh, with respect to some kind of a fork that could re- ultimately result down the road in order to, you know, ostensibly protect investors that have, you know, because the problem is that any leveraged product that is built on Bitcoin ultimately is going to come back to a reckoning. And that means that, uh, you know, anytime you leverage, um, you're basically printing money. You're basically, uh, you know, pretending there's money that you don't actually have. And uh, that's contrary to uh, what the Bitcoin blockchain actually enforces. And so uh, it doesn't mean that that's disallowed uh, by the Bitcoin blockchain. It just means that at some point there's a reckoning. At some point, uh, somebody has to pay the cost of that speculation that goes bad. So ultimately, if an institution uh, leverages or lends uh, Bitcoin that sort of doesn't exist and is more or less just a promissory note, then uh, ultimately there's a reckoning. And if the customer is uh, made whole, then the lender is going to have to pay the price. But ultimately, when it comes down to settlement on the Bitcoin blockchain, somebody's got to pay the price for any mistake or a bad bet. And that's how Bitcoin brings justice to the financial world. But it could be that, you know, the financial heavyweights say, oh, we can't let that be. We've got to change Bitcoin so that we can, you know, you know, distribute that cost among, uh, uh, you know, everyone else or, or, or whatever. And perhaps they do that. Perhaps they modify the code And if they do, then there will be a fork in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And 
Those who align with the fiat system will go with the fiat fork. And those who remain true to the principles of the kingdom of God, to the principles of justice, and to hold accountable those who take risky ventures, then they will stay with the conservative line of the Bitcoin code. And that doesn't even matter whether that happens in the official repository or if a new repository has to be created. One way or another, the community of Bitcoiners will ultimately have the responsibility of deciding whether uh, or which fork to uh, stay with. So this is a very um, sort of interesting time to watch what happens in the Bitcoin world with respect to uh, this Bitcoin ETF and uh, not just whether it gets approved and what the price does, but also sort of what the ramifications uh, turn out to be down the road. And especially in the case of when uh, the situation inevitably arises that people need to be held accountable for the financial risks that they take and how that plays out ultimately at that time, which could be any time down the road in the future. So definitely something to sort of have in the back of mind and to pay attention to when it happens. But the real important thing right now is to recognize that there's been such a turn, such a surprising turn of events that a Bitcoin ETF would even be probable at this point. That's That was so unexpected. And that's something that is a legal matter. It's a question of laws. And it fits very much with the story in the book of Esther that Another law was made that enabled the Jews to defend themselves. And so this Bitcoin ETF will allow, will enable many, many people who support the Bitcoin ethos to be able to join into that, to invest in Bitcoin and to thus defend themselves against the schemes that are being planned against the world. So I think that is highly, highly significant and confirmed by a heavenly sign and by the price action of Bitcoin itself uh, in response to that news on that exact date. So I just have to say, wow, that seems like the work of God. And it seems like uh, regardless of uh, sort of the discussion surrounding whether ETFs are a good thing or not, you know, what the risks could be. It seems like this is God's way to offer defenses, to offer aid and help to his people at this time. So in the story of Esther, the Jews were given sort of this way of escape, the ability to protect themselves. And I would venture to say that Bitcoin is sort of the divine provision for the people of God and people in general, to protect themselves against the things that the, the world powers are doing, in particular against the force of vaccination and the uh, restrictions on travel. Of course, you know, that's going to be all under the control of the fiat realm to some degree. But Bitcoin gives people a way out, a way to survive and to sort of band together, stand together. In fact, let me read this directly from the Bible. This is the book of Esther, chapter 8. And I'm going to start in at verse 11. It says, Wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together and to stand for their life. So I want to emphasize here, they gathered together and they stood for their life to destroy it, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. And of course, in the context of Bitcoin, enabling the people to gather, to rally into Bitcoin, and to stand for their life, not talking about physical life and death, uh, you know, Bitcoin is a peaceful movement, okay? But in a metaphorical sense, Bitcoin allows people to stand together and combat the ones who are working against them, 
working to vaccinate them against their will, working to restrict them from travel, working them, to, working to restrict them from uh, transacting, from buying and selling, except they get vaccinated and accept all the ideologies of the world that are contrary to the principles of God. Okay, and verse 15 again, And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, and with a great crown of gold, and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. The Jews gathered themselves together in their cities. This is now chapter 9, verse 2. I I skipped a verse. The Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. And all the rulers of the provinces and the lieutenants and the deputies and officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. Skipping down to verse 5, Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction and did what they would unto those that hated them. Okay, so just I want to emphasize the fact that they gathered together, they stood together in order to resist and to fight against those who would bring them harm. And the way to do that today is twofold. On the practical side, put your money in Bitcoin. Put a tenth of your income in Bitcoin. Let your tithe be given to the cause of God. And at the same time, you retain sovereignty over that, okay? So it's not somebody calling uh, to take your money. It's simply calling you to take a stand, all right? And that's how you can gather into sort of the Bitcoin fold and stand. That is to say, to hodl, to keep a portion of money in Bitcoin, to set aside that tenth every month or every paycheck, to give to the cause of God, to hold in the cause of God, to stand in the cause of God. Okay? And That's on the practical side. And then on the spiritual side is to look up and see how God is working and how he has made the provision. And he did this just like in the story of Esther. He did this through the intercession of a faithful woman. In the Bible, a woman stands for a church in in prophetic symbolism. And so the way that Esther interceded. Now, this is a historical story. It's not a prophecy per se, but the stories, especially in the Old Testament, many of the stories are allegorical. They are not only literal history, but they have a spiritual application to the future. And so, in a sense, they are like prophecies, even though they aren't necessarily uh, given like as a vision, as a direct prophecy from God in that sense. So Esther in this story being a woman represents, and, and, and in the context of what she did for the Jewish people, she represents a church, a faithful church, one that was faithful to her God and who interceded on behalf of her people. Okay. And because of that, a decree was made. And in the real life scenario with Bitcoin and how we could see that exactly on the dates when the sign of the Son of Man was highlighted in heaven, uh, as described in the article I mentioned, on those very dates, the price of Bitcoin rebounded and sort of gave the signal, bringing Bitcoin back to the attention and back to the forefront to remind people and to make people aware, hey, this is the way. And and the timing of that showing that this is sort of God's provision. This is his decree. Bitcoin fulfills the decree that allows God's people to stand against the powers of the world who are seeking their harm. So the intercession already happened, okay? We're past that point now, but the spiritual application, which you can still do, is 
what we read about here, that it says that many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. So seeing how God has orchestrated things and how he has made Bitcoin the provision to stand together against the oppression of the world. This is a reason to praise God and to become a Jew, so to speak, not a literal Jew, but a Christian and a worshiper of God and to come into the spiritual fold to not only to accept Bitcoin, but to use it to promote freedom, freedom of conscience, freedom to keep your body free of man-made genes that destroys the creation that God made. We who honor God are the true stewards of the planet. We are the ones who tend the vineyard of God's creation for his honor and not according to our own whims. Imagine what the world would think. I mean, you know, think of the contradiction here. They say that global warming is responsible for sort of new and worse viruses, right? Like COVID-19, for example. Well, if that's true, and if their response is the invention of vaccines, man-made genetics that will be incorporated into the body to uh, combat these new and emerging viruses, then in essence, what they're saying is that it doesn't matter if we heat up the planet because we can just, uh, you know, reprogram the, the human genome such that humans can adapt to the new, hotter environment. It, that's what they're doing. It's not what they're saying, but that's what they're doing. So the, the words and the actions don't agree. And it's time that, you know, people see that. People see the discrepancy. And it's time to put our confidence and our faith back in God who created the world and who granted us stewardship over the world. We are responsible to him ultimately, not to the planet directly, not to each other directly, but we're ultimately responsible to God for how we treat each other and how we treat the planet that he has put in our care. So I think this was a really interesting episode, and we've covered some subjects that are controversial, again, um, in particular, the issue of vaccination. And just to kind of close this out on the right note, I want to say that this isn't about giving a hard time to those who have gotten vaccinated or to discriminate or to, you know, hate on any such person. You know, everyone has their own beliefs. Everyone has sort of the freedom to decide, you know, what they will or won't do or accept. And that's a freedom that is given by God. And that's something to be respected. So those who have chosen to get vaccinated or who will choose to get vaccinated, it's, it is their choice. And they don't suffer from that choice by and large. They agree with it and they think they're doing the right thing. And unfortunately, many people go along that route without being fully educated. But that also is something that is ultimately their responsibility. We each have a responsibility to inform ourselves, to uh, get up to speed on issues that are important to us. And if honoring God uh, by, you know, keeping your body in a certain condition, in a, you know, if that's important to you, then naturally you will inform yourself about these things. And as Christians, we believe that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the temple is a holy place. And you don't just take anything into the holy place. That is the house of God. That is the, the realm of the divine. And humans shouldn't have a part in going into the most sacred area of the human body, into the genes, and uh, inserting their own strange fire, so to speak, there. For a Christian, that's unconscionable. And yet many Christians have chosen not to honor God in that way. And if that's their choice, then they have made their choice. And it's not on the rest of us to treat them badly for that choice. But it is an unfortunate choice. And it's one that we 
who choose what is just and honorable and good and respectable to our Creator, we have the power that He has given us to fight against that coercion so that the world doesn't coerce us and others who might be a little less suspecting uh, into accepting what is not in harmony with God's will and what is not in the best interest of nature. So remember that freedom of conscience is the issue at stake here. And that's what the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation speaks so much about, about coercing people against their conscience, causing them to worship. And the intercession has already been made. Esther has already done her work. Now we are in the time where we have to stand together and to actually fight the battle, to fight against those who are trying to kill us, trying to kill off the human bloodline, who are locking down, preventing from travel those who do not comply, who are cutting off earthly resources, cutting off financial pathways for those who do not go along with their agendas. Okay, so what did you think about this week's message? Personally, this topic reached me deeply as one who is against the vaccination with mRNA or DNA. Um, this was a very, mm, well, difficult news that the death decree has been set. But at the same time, it was also extremely encouraging to see how God has made a provision for uh, the survival of those who want to stay faithful to him in this coming year. And I pray that uh, many of you who listen to this episode will also take your stand. Go ahead and follow the counsel of the previous episode to set aside the tenth of your income, put it into Bitcoin, and participate and do your part to stand together and to fight against the powers that are trying to uh, harm the people of God and ultimately not just harm, but ultimately kill to silence for eternity. And a new article just came out. I have not read it yet, but it's entitled The Final Gathering. And this, of course, fits the theme very well, but it's certainly taking a more spiritual aspect. And that's a message that I really want to direct you to. So look for the link for that the final gathering. And I encourage you to read that and find your spiritual friends, your spiritual countrymen, your fellow Christians who believe in following the principles that God has outlined. So I'll leave you with that and finish out this episode. Feel free to drop your comments. And just a reminder, be sure to search for Bitcoin Sermons on Noster and give me a follow. And there you can find all the links to articles that I mention in the podcasts. And I just want to encourage you to utilize the Fountain app for podcast listening, where you can take advantage of the value for value features that are there. And if you've received value from this episode, then I encourage you to let it be known through comments and through any contribution of sats that you make through the features of the app. And let that be a free will offering to support this podcast. This podcast is free and I make it because the issues I talk about here are things that are on my heart that I think are valuable to you and I want to share with you. I do it for the love of it. And if you are blessed by it and would like to reciprocate by a free will offering, that would be welcomed. But more importantly, make sure that you are setting aside your tenth part and putting it into the cause of God by putting it in Bitcoin and holding it in self-custody yourself as your contribution directly to the cause of God, which is the cause of Bitcoin. And of course, anything above and beyond the 10% is at your discretion as well. Let us gather together and stand together for the final battle. So what do you think? Doesn't Bitcoin really fit in with the way that the Bible speaks about the end of time and the last generation? Let people know what you think in the comments. 
Till next time, stay sane in this crazy world.